and welcome to yet another editorial edition of News Weekly. Um, as I've said in the past, the comedy festival is still going on. There's a few more days, I think four days left to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. So I'm doing that. Then I'm flying to Sydney to do the Sydney Comedy Festival and Perth to do the Perth Comedy Festival. Uh, the dates for all of those are up on the samisha.com slash shows. Um, but I think I can tell you really quickly what they are. Um, Perth Comedy Festival. I am in Perth on the 13th of May. Uh, that's when my show is. It's one night only at the Recobite. And uh, in Sydney on the 7th of May, one night only as well. Um, so at the Enmore Theatre. So please do buy tickets. Come down there at the Sydney Comedy Festival website, Perth Comedy Fe- Festival website, or my own website, thesamisha.com. Melbourne is almost pretty much done. I think we have three, four days left uh, as, the day, as of the day that I'm putting this podcast to air. Editorial editions of what we've been doing, just kind of giving me a bit of a break and a breather while I focus on the Comedy Festival. We're going to be back in a few weeks with regular old school news weekly, the uh, highly edited, highly produced uh, news analysis and content that you love when I punch the news in the headlines weekly in the run up to the Melbourne, uh, the, the Australian election uh, on the 21st of May. We're going to be, Australians will be going to the polls to get their sausage sizzles and I will be there with them giving you all the commentary and analysis that you really don't need or crave but you know forget it why not let's just do this Uh, but in the meantime like I said you know I'm trying to do these editorial editions where they're fun they're interesting they're different points of view we've already heard from Ali Mustafa uh, who is a journalist for TRT and he was been in Kiev uh, and, and in Ukraine for the last few weeks. I think he just left a day or two ago uh, and is back in London right now before heading off again, probably to some other war zone, knowing him. Uh, then we heard from Zarar Koro, who's a journalist in Pakistan with Dawn News. Um, and he gave us an analysis of the whole Imran Khan, Pakistani politics situation over there. Today, I want you to do something more close to home. Australian election, uh, the run-up has begun. Because of the comedy festival, I've largely checked out of it. I'm not really paying as much attention as I tend to to these things. And frankly, it's been quite lovely uh, to have that space and uh, clarity of mind. Uh, so I thought I'd check in with Dan Illich. So for those of you who don't know, Dan runs uh, a podcast called uh, A Rational Fear. So A Rational Fear. And it is an excellent podcast. It's really huge. It kind of is an institution in the Australian news satire podcast kind of sphere. Um, And Dan's been around the block for a while. He used to be the head of satirical content for uh, Al Jazeera Plus. Um, He's worked on The Hungry Beast. He's used to be a part of um, uh, Tonightly on ABC for a while. So, you know, I've, I've known Dan for many years and I've known him as such a close part of the satirical scene in Australia, not on mainstream television, but in this kind of off the off Broadway area that we occupy, which is comedy podcasts and live shows. And he does amazing. The ra- Rational Fear is, is remarkable. They did a show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival where they had Grace Stame on. You know, he's had Zadi Stegall. He's had politicians from around the world being regular guests on. Um, and so I thought, you know what? Let's talk to Dan about what it is to be a news satirist in an Australian election and what he thinks is happening in this Australian election and how he thinks things are going to turn out. So this is me talking to my friend Dan Illich about the Australian election. <laughs> How are you feeling? Me, I'm feeling uh, relaxed. You know, it's odd. I feel like I've done my comedy festival show. That had a lot of anxiety. Now we're running four weeks till Scott Morrison gets back in, which means another three years of jokes for satirists. I'm, I'm very yeah. excited about that prospect. 
Okay, I'm just so, really okay, hoping, I'm really hoping Labor just fucks it up so we can make jokes uh, about climate change for another three years, integrity for another three years, misogyny for another three years. <laughs> I mean, it's great. I mean, I've already written a whole bunch of jokes. I just recycle them. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, look, here's my situation. Um, normally, like you, I'm a political junkie. I'm obsessed with satirical... I'm obsessed, I'm obsessed with the news because from that news, I make satirical comedy. Mm. But... Because of the comedy festival, I've checked out. Mm. I'm so busy doing the comedy festival and focusing on that. I've actually stopped paying attention to the news. And so I've even avoided social media to see largely what the news update, <laughs> updates are. I don't know what Albanese is up to. I don't know what Morrison's up to. Yeah. And I realized this is how most people live their lives. Yeah. This is how most healthy, normal, well-balanced individuals yeah. maintain their equilibrium by just not following politics. Not to mention rich people. Rich people don't... Yes. They don't need to. They don't own it. They don't need to. They're rich. Yes. Yeah. They own the politics. It's, it's redundant for them. But... Um, are we are we doing damage to ourselves, Dan, by paying attention to the news as closely as we do? Um, every news article does you damage, Sammy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's accurate. I think we are a unique species where not only are people demanding us, well, our audience certainly has a level of, please, would you please consume the news and digest it for us because we're, we need somebody to do that for us um, kind of aspect to our work. So in a, in a way, you know, John Stewart kind of, talks about the daily show being a, re- a refinery of ideas you know at, mm-hmm. at 10 o'clock in the morning they would have a whole bunch of things um going on on the news and then they'd, they'd spend all day chipping it away chipping it away stripping it back stripping it back until by four o'clock they'd have a script that was um refined and i feel like that's kind of what we do um as podcasters but as also people who create content online outside of Outside of outside of podcasting, people kind of hope that we are the refinery and bring to them an angle that they can consume or grab a hold of um, that is outside of the mainstream media. Um, so it, I think that's kind of our job, but it's also a very lonely, isolating and uh, mentally taxing job because often, right. often what I feel like we, we're doing is looking at the bullshit culture wars around us and then stripping that back and saying, oh, well, if you, if you, if you peel back all of these culture wars, what mm. it comes down to is fossil fuel donors. That's what it, right. that's what it is in my case anyway. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think when you're talking about the uh, each each territory where there are elections is different, right? Um, so in Australia, it is it is about the state capture of fossil fuels, but in mm-hmm. other countries, it's about other major influences right. um, uh, that are that are that are tying <laughs> that country together. Um, but here, the real power is 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 fossil fuel and mining. So it, it's me. It, it, it's often it's like pulling all this stuff backwards just to keep going well just look at the people who are donating to the major parties and that is that is the butt of our jokes every other time so i was um up until a few weeks ago i was actually uh, in the early throes of a phd in journalism with a focus on news satire and then a few Ooh, weeks ago dr well, okay. sammy Shah. that was literally <laughs> the only reason i was doing it i thought it would be funny to call myself doctor and then th- a few weeks into trying it i was like this is way too much work uh-huh. for a punchline and i quit i'm like i'm not i dropped out of the program you should I'm speak to continuing. my friend dr kale bain who is doing a phd in satire yeah. and news as we speak um, but the interesting thing I found was I read a bunch of articles by academics around the world about news satire and the, mm. its place in society and its place in journalism, etc., etc., etc. 
one of the things that they, they talked about stuff like oh new satire is important because it strips away the truth it strips away the lies and shows the truth underneath or or it provides context and and it it, it has tools that traditional journalism doesn't and blah 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 and for me the one thing i was like all of them missed every single one of these uh, uh, analysts and, and uh, educators and, and researchers missed in their analyses of new satire was it needs to be funny <laughs> like fucking if it ain't funny it ain't working man and like it's some of those things but what do you think then are the key ingredients for a new satire that works uh or funny helps uh having a mm-hmm. strong point of view helps because i think as journalists they're often have this idea that they can't have a strong point of view because they have to be impartial. But if the world is fucked, they should say that it's fucked, but often they're not allowed to say that it's fucked. Often they have Mm -hmm. to say the world is fucked, but also the opposite is true. So, you know, it's like you can't do that. You, I think as someone who believes in honesty and truth, you have to call it as it is. You have to say it how it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And often, often that is, that means having a really strong point of view on something. And that is something that journalists sometimes aren't allowed to do, uh, unless of course you work work for News Corp, and of course um, you know that's totally fine. You can say whatever you like. Mm-hmm. Um, just not other people are allowed to say what they want. <laughs> but it's um it's one of those things where I think that is a main thing. And one other thing that I would has a you know a lot of highfalutin ideas around satire come mm-hmm. about, and I'm I'm victim to this as well because I play into it. You know, I irrational fear. And we're about to put on a show for the Judith Nielsen Foundation called uh, the 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 joke is mightier than the pen, and it's got a bunch of Sydney satirists talking about satire and how satire mm-hmm. can change the world versus journalism. But I think my my main idea about that is is I don't know if satire changes anything. It just reaches audiences that can't be reached by journalism. Right. Um, and it also the other thing that also does is remind the people in power whose jokes are, that they're pointed at that there are people that disagree with them. And I think that's a powerful thing, particularly for folks in the quote-unquote Canberra bubble who go from um, campaigning to campaigning to their various... Look, he, Scott Morrison this week, he went campaigning to Woodside and Santos, like places that donate to his political party and are mm. going to give him a big pat on the back. And the rare moment of honesty you really see in a campaign is when someone calls him a dickhead at a new Castle pub. That is that is fantastic. That's more powerful than satire right exactly. there. But because these people operate in a bubble and they're going from their party rooms to a fundraiser to to uh, an organisation that gives them money so that they can give them billions of dollars in grants, um, they're never going to hear from those people that they're they're a dickhead. So that's up to us. You know, that's up to yeah. comedians and um, to to point out the fact that you know sometimes these people are very bad people and they should it, it should be pointed out. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to do something um, which uh, happens to us a lot, right? You know, a, a lot of journalists often uh, point at satirists and go like, that's not journalism, that's satire, that's comedy, you're not a journalist, and it's yeah. like, fair power to them. I'm, I can debate that, but, you know, I understand where they're coming from. But where the clowns that get to point at the emperor and say that the emperor has no clothes on? We're still clowns, he's still the emperor, but that's the fucking power that we have. Uh, I want you to help me point at the journalists and tell me... What do you think mainstream Australian journalists right now, not just News Corp, but oh. the mainstream ones are doing wrong in the in the coverage of this election, oh. in your opinion? It's, uh, I mean, it's 
it's the points, it's the horse race, it's like it's the gaffs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that those are the things that you know. And what's all, <laughs> what's worse is our think pieces about the horse race, about the gaffs, about how journalists shouldn't be doing it, and the think pieces about those think pieces, which <laughs> this I believe is in that yes, uh, outer onion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. What where you get the real issues is by talking to real people, not necessarily hanging out with uh, Scott Morrison or Anthony Albanese on the on the campaign trail. In twenty sixteen, I did one of the most uh, fun things in my career. Uh, that was I hitchhiked from Hobart to Ely Beach for the ABC, and I interviewed people in the car who picked me up about the election, the upcoming election, and asked them who they were going to vote for and like what they thought of politics. Right. The overwhelming majority of people had were dispassionate, didn't really care, uh, were disengaged. Um, and I, what I found is like new Australians, new migrants, uh, deeply respected the vote, were really engaged and wanted to have their say. And then people at the top of the country and the bottom of the country uh, who picked me up uh, got most of their news from Pauline Hanson's Facebook page and yeah. were going to vote for Pauline because of something to do with uh, fathers' rights and kids or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I discovered. I discovered that there was this huge disengagement from the majority of people from politics and people weren't talking to people outside of the major cities and outside mm-hmm. the major cities is where some of the biggest decisions in politics get made. Um, so for me, that's still that's still fascinating. That's that's a what that what what kind of <laughs> that that bit of art, that bit of journalism showed was that oh my god, um, uh, it really foreshadowed what was going to happen with Trump some six yep. to eight months later. It was a it was amazing. I was like oh wow this is this is you know a year a year on from that that thing. I was like wow. Uh, I don't want to say I called it, but wow, this disenfranchised majority of people in the regional areas is something we should pay attention to. Look, yeah. uh, and so I think you know for folks, particularly uh, journalists who have been covering politics a long time, they tend to use a lot of language that uh, is jargon and is uh, is of a certain polit- political class. Um, and they use outdated language that is, is kind of meaningless now. Like, here's an example. A, a popular breakfast television host on a public broadcaster tweeted that it looks like there could be a hung parliament the other day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this is a particular journalist whose work I do not admire uh, and I think they're very soft and I don't understand why they have the position that they have. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's like, dude, if you have actually followed politics the last three years, you realise we are actually in a hung parliament, that, yeah. the, that the country is being run by the nationals, the Prime Minister is Barnaby Joyce, the decisions go through Armadale. They don't go <laughs> through Cook. Like, it's this, this is, it's a very strange thing where, it, where this kind of rhetoric gets used and people lap it up, but that actually it's being used imprecisely and mm-hmm. right now um where are we need precision in our in our journalism right um and the armor i mean there's other things as well like very partisan journalists like yulman jump on the fossil fuel bandwagon and talk about how expensive um re- renewables are when demonstrably renewables are like or in order of magnitude of five to six times cheaper than coal or, or fossil fuels. So there's, this, there's also that disconnect as well. And I don't know how to fix that because that is a personal point of view that Chris Yulman has. He hates windmills. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Guy hates, for a guy that likes spin, he really hates things that spin around. 
<laughs> all right, so let's all right, let's drill down. Let's look at this election. This this I love the fact that basically with this whole time we've been going when is Morrison calling the election? When is Morrison <laughs> once he, and as soon as he called the election everyone was like I want nothing to this election. I wish there was no election. <laughs> We're already done with it before it started. Well, I have this joke. Um, I, I mean, I have this so, joke. Right, let's I, talk I did, about the election. Well, the, the, yeah. the thing I had this joke that I've been doing for the last 6 months is like Scott Morrison is going to call the election for May 21st because that's the last possible time he can do anything. It is all part of how he manages the country. It's called the Engadine Doctrine, where you have to wait for the passage of time to actually force a decision upon you. <laughs> Be that call an election or shit your pants in Engadine McDonald's. This is this is all part of the Engadine Doctrine. <laughs> of course, of course, the date wasn't going to be any other date. It was going to be the last possible t- time that he could possibly do anything because the guy doesn't make decisions. Uh, let's then talk about this election and let's talk about the candidates, the major candidates. The the, the... let's do what no one ever does and make some predictions because everyone <laughs> is too scared of being wrong. Okay. I don't give a shit. I'm sure. happy to be proven wrong as yeah. much as I am to be proven right. So. Um, this this is what people get paid thousands of dollars to do on television. Talk bullshit. Yes. And uh and be wrong and never have to never have to admit mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's most of Australia's media class. So um right now, how do you feel about Labour's chances of winning? Because everyone seems to be having this narrative of Labour will most likely win, but Labour always fucks it up at the finish line, so they might not win. Mm, yeah, I think that's a fair enough. That's a fair enough meme to kind of stand on. But I think the latest Ipsos poll was super interesting. That showed how ma- both major parties have fallen out of fashion. Um, and I think what what that shows is particularly around issues like climate, um, my pet subject, that there could be an appetite for a handful of independents to come through, and mm-hmm. maybe this crazy cross bench independent. Um, plan might be hatched and, and be pulled off. So that's, for my money, looking at how the polls are trending, I think that's super exciting, particularly in uh, electorates like where I live in Wentworth, where the current incumbent only has about 1% uh, a lead on uh, on the, ind- the climate independent coming through. That's pretty, that's pretty interesting stuff. And that lead is narrowing. The trend is going in the right direction for the independent to come through. Um, there are plenty of other places where... That isn't the case. Uh, there was a, a incredible poll in Kuyong that suggested that the independent in Kuyong, um, Monique uh, Scamp, uh, had, had a huge lead on Josh Frydenberg, which is absolutely pornography to people who are into climate action. Uh, but, you know, that is a, a poll that is always quite favourable to independents. It's probably a lot tighter than that. But still, if these folks, if these independents manage to kind of force a 50-50 race, there could be could be over for a lot of um, coalition seats. So that's that's super interesting. So uh, judging judging from all those kinds of numbers, I think that's a really interesting place to be where we are right now five weeks out. Um, so it is my hope that we see uh, uh, folks get in who have a strong climate platform. That is mm-hmm. that is my number one hope. And, uh, and you know, that's all I want to see. Uh, my, I'm a single-issue man this election. I have the privilege of being a single-issue man. Um and because I think that's going to be better for everyone, and so I, so as a result, my bias is skewed to seeing, um, seeing the the signal in that noise as skewing towards a a, a independent crossbench um, 
uh, filtering through. Now, I don't mind. Look, I, it, it becomes a really interesting thing where, a thing where I don't really care who gets in, who gets more votes if there is a mm-hmm. strong crossbench and that crossbench needs to be negotiated with to get uh, a 2030 target uh, and meaningful emissions reduction. That just, the idea that a crossbench could, crossbench of the Greens or independents could could completely short-circuit fossil fuel funding of, of our parliament is super exciting to me. So anyway, the, the, I, my bias is sits there. I'm, I'm feeling that's that what could be the case. But uh, of course, if Scott Morrison gets in, I won't be surprised at all. Uh, if the Liberals get back in, I won't be surprised at all. If Labor gets in, I will be, I will be like this. Oh, hmm. oh, <laughs> that's interesting. Oh. A passionate response. Oh, oh. oh well, well, there you go. Well, you did, they did do it. They did do it. I, was, I regret tweeting all those things about Anthony Albanese before. <laughs> <laughs> here's what I, here's, so here's what I think. I think Labour wins, uh-huh. but but uh, with a very close margin and a lot of independents coming in, and so Labour having to negotiate with independents. Labour is not good at negotiating. They aren't. Like the fact that Labour and Greens in Australia still don't get along um, on a federal level is an indictment of Labour, not of Greens. And yeah. and I think what's going to happen is Labour will win and be a one-term party. And lose the next election back to a coalition, which will then be there for another eight to ten years. The problem I see, the thing that's key, I love the rise of the independents. I like the fact that right now in Australia we've got so many independent candidates coming up. Because if Jackie Lambie, for all of the jokes that can be made about Jackie Lambie, has proven mm. she's a fucking good politician. Yeah. And she's done a lot of things for reasons that you can say are learned her from her mistakes, yeah. corrected her mistakes, made public apologies and become a, a person who fights for things largely on the right side of history time and time again in very interesting ways. I think that's cool. Yeah. But the thing that scares me is in look, the shadow of the Trump election will loom over our generation for decades to come. <laughs> it will. Um, and here's what scares me is in the run-up to the 2016 U.S. presidential election, people were sick and tired of the mainstream candidates, right? So they were sick of uh, um, uh, Hillary Clinton, mm. and they were sick of, um, what's it called, all the Republican candidates that were coming up. They wanted Jeb an Bush, outsider. please Jeb, clap. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so they wanted someone new. They wanted someone different. They wanted a different voice. We were hoping for, you know, Dan Carl in the podcaster, whose work I really like, he would have been saying for years that we need a third party, we need a third voice, we need a different voice. Uh-huh. It ended up being not someone cool and leftist and awesome and intelligent and unique like Bernie, um, Bernie, Sanders? what's his name? Sanders, thank you. Um, my brain started going Bernie Wrightson, the comic artist. But anyway, <laughs> not him. Um, but we, it wasn't someone cool and funky like Bernie Mac. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it ended up being, you know, Donald Trump, who was through the Republican Party, but mm. a, a far left, or far right, whatever, like out of left field kind of voice that no one anticipated. Mm. The independents, when they rise up, aren't always the best people to rise up. There's yeah. some great independents who are pro-climate, and then there's some batshit fucking crazies. Mm. You know, George Christensen would be a great independent, most likely, in three years' time. Yeah. Um, and that's what scares me, is we're going to see Labour shitting the bed this uh, after winning this election. We see the Liberals come back and Nationals come back, but this time backed by a whole lot of far-right independence and a far more far-right government than, than we've had now. This is my prediction. 
Um, when that happens, uh, uh, Sammy Shah, I'm going to move to Pakistan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think life will be good for me there. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> could be worse here. That's I've got true. some friends working at Woodside over there. I will go over yeah, there yeah, yeah. and work for them. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that is a scary. That is a scary thought. Um, oh, we, my, my. My feeling and my hope is that these independents mm-hmm. do do get in, do force negotiation for tougher climate legislation, um, be that in carbon tax and strong 2030 targets, um, and they do such a good job, even more independents will get in next time round. <laughs> because here's the th- what is what is truly the the thing that worries me about our climate uh, our democracy is the state capture of our whole parliamentary system of fossil fuels by the mm. fossil fuel industry with so many people from gas and, and petroleum and, and mining already working in government, in the PMC, in Angus Taylor's office. It is just, it's incredible. Um, and the only way to short circuit that is to, to, to get it at the root, which is the, which is the, um, the funding, the, the donations. So mm-hmm. if that's at all possible, then that makes it harder. Um, that makes it harder to kind of wholesale um, ruin the ruin the climate. Anyway, that's 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 kind of my thought. I had a really I listened to um, uh, uh, Andrew Yang um, today on a podcast talking about his new movement called uh, Forward, um, and he's kind of advocating for a bunch of stuff like open primaries and preferential voting. And mm-hmm. he's kind of, you know, Andrew Yang. He takes these ideas that have been around a while and and proclaims them as if their own. And people are like, wow, preferential voting. How does that work, Andrew <laughs> Yang? <laughs> And his his and he made a good point, and I feel like I feel like what's great about Australian democracy is preferential voting and compulsory yes. voting, and I feel like hopefully your world won't happen because Australia has a, a a huge middle of people who look at politics not from left or from right, but from the middle, and they fold their arms and they go, "All right, fuckhead, prove it," and it's that kind of prove it mentality um, that I feel like Australians are really good at calling bullshit. And mm-hmm. with any luck, uh, with any luck, the electorate will move to the least bullshitter of, of the bunch. So that's what, that's my, that's my theory about Australian democracy. That's why my theory about compulsory voting, why compulsory voting is actually really good is because it, it brings out, it makes that middle even bigger. Uh, unlike American voting where you have to register yeah. to be either be a Republican or a Democrat or an independent, but you actually re- register your party affiliation before you go to vote. That's the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> like that's not a democracy. What's the point of that? Um, uh, I, I think, I think just compulsory voting means that folks have to folks, have, people who are, have the remotest inclination to think about politics mm-hmm. will think about it remotely and just go, well, let's, let's call bullshit on, on the person we hate the most. And I think, I think with any luck, Scott Morrison, Scott Morrison's smirk, if, if judging by my relatives at Easter is yes. anything to go by, is losing him the election. All right, so what have you got on in this run-up to the election? Irrational Fear is your podcast, and that's busy as always. you got a whole bunch of stuff, but there's a whole bunch of other things you're doing because you, for some reason, have an idea and then run with it, unlike <laughs> the rest of us who have ideas and then go, someone should do that, and then go back to bed. 
Look, here's the thing, right? I, I honestly think right now is the most important important election we have in front of us um, for some time because it will determine just how many more megatons and gigatons of carbon get chucked up in the sky from Australia because we are the second largest exporter of fossil fuels, right? Mm. So it is of my opinion that everybody needs to work as hard as possible to get rid of fossil fuels. <laughs> I know I keep talking about this, Sammy, but this is just how I, this is what I believe in. Uh, people would need, everyone needs to work as hard as possible to get fossil fuel funded candidates out. So I've started this uh, election, this third party body, uh, as the AEC calls it. Uh, it's called, it's not a race. We are a campaigning body to make fun of the coalition and to some extent labor as well. And to try and, uh, not promote the climate independence or not promote the Greens or not promote certain candidates who aren't funded by fossil fuels, but to denigrate and mock relentlessly those who are funded by fossil fuels. So that's kind of our remit there. So it, it's it's not a rational fear because I wanted to keep that separate in case uh, the ABC ever wanted to commission a rational fear. <laughs> I like that the hope is still there in your eyes. I know, I know. It's never gonna happen. I'm, I got closer. I got closer. You're to getting too rational. funny. It's not gonna happen because you're too funny, man. They don't like the funny. Look, it's not not gonna happen because Charlie Pickering, Will Anderson, Annabelle Crab uh, are busy on other shows. And if yeah, they, exactly. <laughs> if I pitch this show with Annabelle Crab, Charlie Pickering, and Will Anderson, it would get up. It would be oh, fine. Yeah. Oh yeah, it absolutely. Absolutely. It would be tailor-made for 97-year-olds, but it would be on air. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, so it's, it's one of those things where, um, yeah, so we've raised a bunch of money. We've raised about $80,000 from about 900 people, and we've been spending it on content and Facebook ads. So sadly, I don't, you know, I'm not going to buy a Maserati out of this, but I will be mm-hmm. spending half of it on Facebook ads. So Zuck- Zuckerberg could buy a Maserati. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's it's one of those strange things where it's like, well, please give us money so we can spend it giving it to billionaires um, who also meddle in our elections. So it's a very exactly. strange kind of um, uh, uh, vehicle we've built. But as a result, we've got a small team of about eight people, eight comedy kind of brains who uh, re- will remain secret until after mm-hmm. the election uh, in order to uh, protect their, their potential jobs that they, they might have at a, at a public broadcaster. Um and we've been pumping out content. And so and so hopefully the right bit of content will reach the right person in the right way and they can make an informed decision about how they may consider where they put their vote this election. So that's one thing I'm doing. The other thing I'm doing is um, I'm the executive producer of a new podcast on the Rational Fear website, on the Rational Fear feed called Jan Fran Has Issues because I knew mm-hmm. I'd be busy during this time. Jan Fran pitched me a podcast, uh, which meant I didn't have to put, a, put out a podcast during the election. Uh, so Jan Fran is, is running it, which is great, and it's a podcast all about individual issues uh, about uh, that people should be that people should con- consider when heading into the election. So it's actually journalism. It's actually looking at specific issues, not the horse race, but specific issues. Uh, each episode about how folks should should think or how folks should think about how each candidate will uh, will operate around those issues. So that's great. So um, that's, that's, all, that's all the things I'm doing for this election. So, uh, and I'm tired already. So there's only five yeah. weeks left. Yeah. <laughs> there's only five weeks left and we've got the, uh, I don't know when this is going to air, but, you know, we've got the, the, the debate tonight. So I'll be up watching the debate, mm-hmm. live mm-hmm. tweeting and making notes to make a video tomorrow. Um, yeah, and I think, honestly, like, if you believe in issues like climate change like I do, you know, you need to, this is the time to get active and this is the time to 
put a stake in the ground and say what you believe in and try to convince folks who know you and folks who are in your life to support your point of view. And I think that's uh, I think that's the fun part about being a democracy. Freedom of speech, baby. Because otherwise, you know, what happens is if we don't do it right, Sammy, we just mm -hmm. let other people do it with millions of dollars in interests, you know, have the conversation when fuck it. We should be having the conversation. It's fucking our democracy, not fucking Santos's or Woodside's. This is our democracy. This is what, this is the shit we should be talking about. Yeah, to get, let's get heated on Twitter. Yeah, let's talk about wind turbines on Twitter. Bring it! Dan Inish, right there with the passion. Thank you very much, Dan. A rational career and Jan Fran has issues. <laughs> And that was Dan Illich from Irrational Fear and many other things uh, telling us all about his analysis of the Australian election. This is the News Weekly. I will be back next week with another editorial edition, uh, most likely speaking with Kylie Moore Gilbert. Kylie Moore Gilbert, if you don't know, wrote the book uh, The Uncaged Sky. It just came out. It's about her 804 days in an Iranian prison um, as an Austrian academic who went to Iran for a conference and ended up being part of a hostage diplomacy situation where she was basically in a terrible prison for two years, including almost a full year of solitary confinement. She's going to be talking to me about what it's like to be in that situation, how you process it, and then how you then deal with something like hostage diplomacy, which is such a strange and peculiar part of the world we now live in. That's coming up in next week's edition of News Weekly. In the meantime, if you want to find me, you can check out my Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Shah. That's S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H. Otherwise, I'll see you right back here on News Weekly, where we punch the news in the headlines weekly. Mm -hmm.